We're turning to the little epistle of Jude, just before the book of Revelation, and just after Third John, you'll come uh, to the little epistle of Jude. Just 25 verses, and yet this morning is very applicable to our day in which we live this morning. Jude, and just verse 1, and we'll commence to read together. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Mercy unto you, and peace, and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you, and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that the Lord will add his blessing uh, to the public reading of his word to our hearts this morning. Just keep your Bible open because we will be looking at a lot of verses this morning. I want to draw your attention to this little epistle of Jude. This man that just penned 25 verses. And you know, dear friend, this morning, this little small epistle of Jude needs to be studied by every single one of us in the day in which we live because it's these days in which we live that Jude had in mind whenever he penned these verses. I want you to consider this morning and go down and see these verses together. Of this man, Jude, cast your eye to verse 1. It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. And most scholars, and we believe this morning, that this man was the half-brother of our Lord. I want you to think about that just for a moment. He was brought up in the little home down in Nazareth where the Son of God lived. He would have played with him. He would have worked with him. He would have ate with him. He would have watched him and observed him and everything that he did. And Jude, the half-brother of our Lord, the man who spent time with God incarnate. I tell you, dear friends, you know the most sad thing is this. It says in John chapter 7 that neither did his brethren believe in him. And you know, even while the Lord Jesus was in their home, even while Jude watched the Son of God and all of his dealings and all of his words and all of his actions, Jude didn't believe until the way after the resurrection. Maybe there's someone here this morning in this very house and you've been brought up in a Christian home. And your mother and father have brought you up under the sound of the gospel. You've went to Sunday school. You've been brought to the meetings. But yet this morning, just like Jude, if you were to die in that state, you would go to a lost eternity. I want to tell you, you don't become a Christian because you're born into a Christian family. 
You don't become a Christian because you're brought up under the house of Christian parents or sent along to Sunday school. This man, Jude, lived in the very same home as the Lord himself. What a tragedy it would have been if he had died in that state. What a tragedy it would be this morning for some of you dear young people in this, this meeting. If you were to die in the state in which you are and to go out into the chasms of a lost eternity where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know, Jude must have put his trust in the Lord just shortly after the resurrection. And he made this man, Jesus, whom he lived with and whom he watched, he made him his own Lord and Savior. I'm glad this morning there was a day in my life whenever I made that man my Lord and Savior. What about you this morning? Can you look back to a day in your life when you realize that you're a sinner, separated from God by your sin, and there was a day whenever you discovered that the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, it was there he was making a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. Can you go back to a day in your life when you repented of your sin and asked the Lord into your life and he became the Lord and Savior? Jude could. Jude, this man, could point to a day in his life when he got right with God. I want you to cast your eye again to verse 1. It says Jude. Jude. That's short for the word Judas. You know, whenever I mention that word Judas, our minds automatically think to that man that betrayed the Lord. Judas the betrayer. Judas the man that came with the 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. Judas the man that came and kissed the very door into heaven and yet he died in this morning and he's out in the chasms of hell itself. So near, and yet so far. Jude. That word Jude is not only short for Judas, but it's the Greek word for Judah. Judah was a tribe of praise. I tell you, dear men and women, the day that Jude put his trust in Christ, the day that he repented of his sin, the day that he was born again by the Spirit of God, this man, Jude, for the first time, had something to praise God about. Oh, dear men and women, if we're in this meeting and we're saved, we ought to be men and women that praise him. Praise him. Praise the one who died. Praise the one who rose again. Praise the one upon the throne. Praise the one that's coming in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Praise him. Jude. Cast your eye again. It says Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. That term there is the word bond slave. You see, Jude, this man not only got saved, but he surrendered his life to the Lord. He gave him everything that he had. Gave him lock, stock, and barrel of his life. And I wonder this morning, can any of us here say, I am a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I have no will of my own. No right of my own. No time of my own. I'm completely sold out to God. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, there's one thing that marked this young man, Jude. It was humility. Humility. You know, there's three ingredients that God looks for in the life of any believer for blessing. He looks for unity with other believers. And you and I here this morning in this house 
We need to be in unity one with another. For where the brethren dwell together in unity, it's there the Lord commands a blessing. He not only requires unity, he longs for purity among his people. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord and touch not the unclean things. But the third ingredient that the Lord is looking for in every one of our lives is not only purity and unity, I tell you it's humility. Humility. There's not much humility about today. You'll remember what James said, Jude's very own brother, he could say, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Dear men and women, if we want to see a breakthrough in this land, if we want to see God move and work and save and revive, there's only one way to do it, and that is to get low, get low before him. Get down before him. To lay our ability and our gifts and our elegance away and just get in the dust before him. To lie prostrate in the presence of God. You know, pride Pride is in every one of us in this meeting this morning. Every single one of us in this meeting, whether we've got a nice suit or a lovely dress or a big Bible, every one of us are contaminated by pride. You remember Lucifer? He said there, I will lift up and I will be as the Most High. And he was cast out because of pride. Three of the mighty kings of Israel fell into that awful sin. Saul, the first king. Saul, that man that was head and shoulders above the rest of the people. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Samuel the prophet came to him and this is what he said. He said, when you were small in your own eyes, the Lord blessed thee. You know, dear men and women this morning, let us not get too big for God to use. Never let us rise too high that God will have to set us aside and say, I can't use you. Saul, the man that became too big for God to use. What about Uzziah? It says of Uzziah the king that he was marvelously helped of the Lord until he became strong. He went into the very holy place. He went in with a censer into the presence of God, that which only the high priest was allowed to do, and it took over 80 men to restrain him. And a spot of leprosy came on his head. And he ended his days in a leper colony. You know what God was trying to say through Uzziah the king? God hates pride. He hates it. What about David? David, that mighty man. That man that the woman sang about and said that he had slain his thousands. The sweet psalmist of Israel. The man that was in touch with God. The man that walked with God. The man that communed and heard the voice of the Lord. It says in 1 Samuel that, the, that Satan provoked David to number the people. And he sent his right hand man, Job, to go through all of Israel and to number the people. And he gloated over the amount of people that he had in Israel. And dear men and women, never let us gloat even in these prayer meetings how many are coming. Never let us gloat in how many souls are being saved. Never let us gloat on who comes to this assembly. We need to get low before him. Oh, get low. And I speak that to my own heart this morning. You know, if I come to this pulpit and think that I can do this on my own, I tell you, God will humble me. I can't even stand up here on my own. 
I need the Lord to put the very words in my mouth. I have no ability of my own. I am weak and I'm base. I'm not. But oh, that the Lord even this morning would take this weak, empty vessel and that he would get the glory. You see, this man Jude, this man Jude knew all about humility. He saw the Son of God. He saw the one who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Jude, I didn't say he was Pastor Jude. He didn't say he was Bishop Jude. He didn't say he was the Reverend Jude. He just says, I'm Jude, the brother of James. You can see the servant. Quickly, I want you to go on, and I want you to show, the, show you the saints this morning. Cast your eye again to verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. And Jude, he begins to minister to the saints. This man begins to encourage the people of God. This man begins to draw alongside, and I trust he will even minister to your very heart. And this is what he says to them that are sanctified by God. He, does, he gives the people of God three things. That the Lord has done for them. That word sanctified here is the word to be set apart, separated from. Oh dear men and women, those of us that are saved, to think that God set us apart for himself. Separated. To be called out. Paul could say in Galatians 1 and 15, that it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. Oh, you think of that this morning, you dear folk that are saved. Even whenever you're in your mother's womb, God had separated you for himself. What a blessing. What a truth this morning. The one about whom we were singing, the immortal, invisible, the only wise God would ever select mere mortals like you and I for himself. I tell you, it's not a bit wonder that Jude began to praise the Lord. Set apart. Set apart for God. Paul could say in Ephesians 1 that he chose us before the foundation of the world, way in the council chambers of eternity. The immortal God put a stamp upon my life and the same for you this morning. I tell you, that's a mighty truth. Called, chosen, set apart for himself. Way back in Deuteronomy 7, it says the Lord chose thee to be a special people because he Loved thee. Oh, I want to tell you, dear saints, this morning, thank God he loved us. Thank God before we were even born, before we were ever conceived in our mother's womb, before the world was created and the stars were cast into space, the immortal, the invisible, separated us unto himself. Sanctified by God the Father. It not only means to be set apart it means to be dedicated to. And I want to ask you a question in this meeting. As I have been asking my own soul, are we really dedicated to God? If you and I were to look back over the hours that we spent during the week, if you and I were to look back over our life of devotion in the last few days, could we really honestly say in the eyes of God and in, in, the, in the company of others, that I am dedicated to God. My dear men and women, in this day and generation in which we live, 
God is looking for a young man, older man, young woman, older woman, to be dedicated to him, to be set apart, to come out from the world and to give their life completely over to God. I tell you, dear friends, this morning, the moment that you do that, the Lord will use you. He'll use you in a wonderful way. But not only did he say that they were preserved or sanctified by God, cast your eye again to verse 1. He said, you're preserved in Jesus Christ. Five times Jude uses that word preserved. It's the word to be kept. It's the word that a mother watches over her child every moment of the day. Some of you parents here. You have a little child. You know what it is to watch them. You know what it is to keep them. It's a military word. It's the word to guard. It's the word to defend. And here Jude, this brother of James, a half-brother of the Lord, he begins to minister to the people of God. And he says, friends, you're not only set apart by him, you're kept by him to be kept by God, to be set apart and to be guarded, to be watched over. The word in the Greek is actually to be continually kept, continually. Every moment of the day to keep us from danger, to keep us from the devil. I tell you, dear friends, this morning, the moment that you and I get our eyes upon the blessings of God and realize that he's separated us, that he's preserved us. Notice verse 1 again, it says that we're preserved in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in this meeting this morning and you're in the storm. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in some trial or some trouble or in some area of sickness in your life. Oh, what a blessing it is to be in Christ, to be in Him, to be set apart by Him, to be kept by Him, to be in Him. Sometime you get your Bible and go through that little phrase and you'll discover that we have mighty security there. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Oh, dear men and women this morning, dear children of God, to think that you and I will never go to the chasms of hell because he loved us and separated us and has preserved us in his son. To be set apart by him. Oh, I want to tell you, dear friends, that we are rich. We're rich. In the Old Testament, the people of God had to be in the land to get the blessing. In the New Testament, whenever we're in the Lord, we get the blessing. Oh, to be in him this morning, you dear friends that are not saved and know nothing of this joy of being in Christ, know nothing of being a new creation in the Lord. Would to God even this morning that you would come and give your life to him, repent of your sin and let him have full control of your life to be in him. Then he goes on again in verse 1. He says, you're not only preserved in Christ and you're not only separated. He said, you're called to be called. Paul, Peter could say that we're called from darkness onto his marvelous light. We've been called out. We've been called in. I was thinking this morning of the day when we're going to be called up in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, we've been called out of darkness. We've been called into blessing. And there's a day when we're going to be called up into heaven. Oh, would to God, even it would come even today, to see him in all of his beauty, to see him in all of his majesty and power, to see the one who loved us and died for us, the one who took our sins in his own body on the tree, 
Oh, may we never lose the love of him. May we never become too familiar with him. Verse 2. He said, there's mercy unto you in peace and love be multiplied. I haven't got time to go through this this morning. But I'll fire it out to you very quickly. There's mercy for your sins. Did you fall during the week? Did some sin overtake you during the week that no one else knows anything about? Some secret sin? Where you slipped and you stumbled and you fell and even this morning the enemy is accusing you. There's mercy for our sins. And then there's peace for the storm. And I thank God there's love for the soul. You can see the servant. And you can see the saints, but I don't want to talk to you about that this morning. I want to talk to you for a moment about the summons. There's a summons here. There's a summons that Jude, this man, gives to every single believer in this house this morning. There's a summons that he gives to every child of God in Ulster. And I want you to cast your eye to the third verse of this little epistle. He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Jude, he was going to write to these believers about the common salvation. He was going to speak to them about the mighty doctrines of redemption, the mighty truth of the atonement. He was going to lift them and encourage them and stand and gaze at the cross and all the blessings that come to the child of God through the work of the cross. But you know, as he began to write, the Spirit of God began to lead him in a different way. You know, there's many, many of us that handle the Word of God and preach here and there. There's many times when we get down in our studies before the Lord and we say, Lord, I would love just to preach on the cross. I would love just to spend an hour and tell men and women about your beauty and your majesty and your glory. And we get down and we prepare and we seek the Lord and the Lord directs us in a different way. He gives us a word for the hour, a message for the day. And dear friends, we need this morning as a word from God for the day. We need a word from heaven to this hour in which we live. And Jude began to pen. And he was directed by the Spirit of God. He says, I, it was needful for me. The word is to be constrained. He was constrained by the situation in the church. Wearsby said that he was going to take his harp and encourage the people of God. And instead he got the trumpet to warn them. And I want to warn you this morning. I want to take the trumpet by the power of God and blow the trumpet on this pulpit like it has been blown many times before to warn the people. I want to be a watchman this morning that will stand with the bugle and to warn of the approaching danger. The prophet Hosea could say, set the trumpet to thy mouth. And I want to set the trumpet to my mouth this morning. I want to warn you and blow the trumpet like never before this word earnestly contend is the word to fight. It's the word to agonize. It's the word to battle. And I want to encourage every saint of God in this house. It's time to get into the battle. It's time to fight. It's time to stand. It's time to earnestly contend for the faith. It's time to fight for the truth 
like we've never fought before. The day and the hour has come where we need to square our shoulders and we need to stand as men and women of God and be counted in the battle. Earnestly contend for the faith. You know, we've got a lot of contentious believers. I wonder, are you a contentious believer? I wonder if somebody makes some uh, plans and they cut a cross or whatever it may be, that you and I can become so contentious. But God's not looking us to be contentious. God's just looking us to contend earnestly for the faith, to fight. The word is for a man on the front line of the battle to fight tooth and nail, to earnestly contend for the truth. I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning, there's big things ahead. COVID is only peanuts. This is only a warning shot. And over the last few months, the enemy has only been seeing what he can get away with, and he's got away with a lot. And I tell you, dear men and women, that this winter is going to be, there's going to be big things. There's going to be big things happen all across our nation. And the hour has come and the time has come to stand. To stand up. To be men and women. To be soldiers of the cross. You know Paul said I am set for the defense of the gospel. You only thought you needed a passport to go on holidays. I tell you it will not only come into the, for holidays. It'll, you need a passport to get on the very pew. That's what they'll bring in. And they'll not only bring a passport for men and women to sit in a, in a pew. They'll bring in a passport for preachers to stand in the pulpit. And if, we, if you don't preach what we like, you'll not be preaching. Well, I tell you, dear men and women, I'm glad that the man, men that preach here, we don't need passports. I'm glad all we need is the approval of God. I'm glad all we need is the anointing and the Spirit of God behind us and the Word from heaven. Passports or no passports, I'm glad that we'll stand. Will you stand with us? Will you be men that will square your shoulders? But he didn't say here to stand and fight for freedom. He didn't say to stand and fight for your liberties. Maybe you're here this morning and you would fight tooth and nail against the government for your freedom. They'll not tell me what to do. They'll not tell me where I can't go. But Jude in this little epistle didn't say fight for your freedom. He said fight for the faith. Would to God that we would fight for the faith as much as we would fight for our freedom. And I'll tell you dear men and women the reason why many of us believers are only starting to fight. Because it's only affecting us. There wasn't too many of us fought whenever they were trying to bring in the abortion. Because it didn't affect us. There wasn't too many of us stood and fought whenever they tried to bring in and the have brought in same-sex marriage. There wasn't too many fought. It didn't affect us. But I want to tell you what the devil's going to do in this little land in the next months. He's going to affect you and I. And we need to stand. We need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. You know, there's a great falling away. The Word of God says in the last days that men, the love of many shall wax cold. And they're not falling away, they're running away. Running away. And God is looking for men and women to stand in the day of need, in the battle. Would to God every single one of you would come to the prayer meeting tomorrow night. What a prayer meeting that would be. Might have this place filled with men and women that are contending for the faith. 
What a mighty thing on Wednesday night to have all the pews of this church filled with men and women crying unto God. Friday night too. Will you come? The Lord wants you to come. He wants you to earnestly contend for the faith. That's what Jude was trying to tell these believers to do. Cast your eye again to verse 4. He said, For there are certain men who are crept in unawares. One of the reasons why the evangelical church in Northern Ireland is powerless, one of the reasons why they're barren, one of the reasons why there's so little souls being saved is because there's men have got in unaware. They've crept in. They preach another gospel. Paul says, if any man preach any other gospel, he's accursed. You've seen them in weddings. You've seen them at funerals. You've seen them turning it on and turning it off. You've seen them preaching the gospel one day and then preaching works another. Oh, would to God, dear men and women, that we would have discernment to know who's really going to stand. To stand and fight. Cast your eye again to verse 4. And I want you to see these men that are described and they're at work today in Northern Ireland in the evangelical circles. In Ulster. It says here in verse 4, first of all, they are ungodly men. Ungodly. You said to me, Stephen, this morning at this very moment across our little province of Ulster, are you telling me that there's men in pulpits that are ungodly? I'm telling you there are. Are you telling me, Stephen, they've got a collar on? They've got a robe? They've got a big Bible? They're arrogant? They've got lovely, plenty of ability? Are you telling me there's some of them that are ungodly? I'm telling you, Jude said they were. He said they're ungodly men. I want to tell you, dear friend, this morning, if you're not saved in this meeting, it will not matter how religious you are or what sort of a church you go to. It doesn't matter if you even do a daily reading every night of the week. If you're in this meeting and you're not saved, let me tell you what the Word of God says you are. It says you're ungodly. Ah, oh, you said to me, Stephen, I'm a Presbyterian. It says you're ungodly. You said to me, Stephen, but I, I go to my church and I'm, I'm confirmed. And I have respect for the Word of God. Dear men and women this morning, if we're not saved and born again, the Word of God says we're ungodly. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly. Ungodly men have crept in. The Lord could say in Matthew 7 and 15 that they're wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm blowing the trumpet this morning. They're in. Men and women, they're in. Ungodly men. Wolves in sheep's clothing. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says they're ministers of Satan, deceitful workers, transforming themselves as the ministers of Christ. They're tares among the wheat. They're wolves among the sheep. And that wee word it says in verse 4, they're in. They're in. They're in our colleges. They're in our churches. They're in our conventions. They're in the circles that you and I maybe even would think they're not in, but they're there. Ungodly men that have crept in. You know, there's three things that these men do, and they're doing it this morning. The first thing is they attack the Word of God. If you cast your eye there again to verse 4, it says ungodly men turning. That word is translating. 
The word is to twist. Twisting the grace of God into lasciviousness. What these men do in the pulpits to say, well, the grace of God, you know, you can live whatever way you like. Do whatever you want. I want to tell you, dear men and women, this morning, if we're saved, we can't live whatever way we want. We need to rise to the standards that's in this old book. And we need to preach it. And we need to live it. We need to be men and women that will stand and obey the word of God. Way back in Paul's day, you know what they tried to do? They tried to add to the word of God. The old Pharisees have said there, well, if you're saved, you need to be circumcised to get into heaven. They added to the word of God. It was legalism. But you know, in our day today, they're not adding to the word. They're taking away from the word. It's liberalism. Do whatever you want. Drink, smoke, take drugs. Marry an unsaved man. Do whatever you want. God will forgive you. I tell you, dear friends, it's a damnable heresy. Do you hear the trumpet being blown this morning? This is just the word of God. This is just Jude, the brother of the Lord. He's trying to warn the people. I was thinking of it during the week. Way back in the days of the Covenanters, they tried to ban the Bible. And then they tried to burn it, and that didn't work. And then they tried to belittle it. But you know what they're trying to do this morning? They're trying to butcher it. Just like old King Jehoiakim, he took his pen knife and he got the word of God and he cut strips out of it and fired it into the fire. Oh, we don't like the blood, we'll cut it out. We don't like repentance, we'll cut it out. We don't like the truth of the imminent return of the Lord and we'll get our pen knife and we'll cut it out. They're ungodly men. They're handling the word of God deceitfully. They twist it. They dilute it as a license to sin. You see there in verse 3 it says to earnestly contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. That word faith there is the full canon of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And Jude says to these believers that you need to fight for this old book. Now, I just want you to get your eyes off these old ungodly men for a moment. And I want you just to look at yourself. I wonder, do you cut anything out of the word of God? I wonder, do you take a pen knife and cut bits out? I wonder, whenever it comes to the word baptism, do you get your wee pen knife and cut it out? Ah, oh, you say riddles away often as ranting you. I want to tell you, dear men and women, as I preached the other week, whenever we begin to obey, God will begin to bless. Maybe whenever you come to the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, you get your pen knife. You see, it's all right pointing the finger at these ungodly men. It's all right seeing these men that are diluting the word and twisting the word. But do we do it? Do we handle the word of God deceitfully? You see, there's coming a day when every single one of us will give an account for this old book. Every one of us will stand at the beamer seat of Christ and the Lord's going to ask us, what did we do with this book? What did we do with the book that the covenanters died to give us? What did we do with this old book that has been handed down through the centuries of time that men died at the very stake to give us? Oh, I want to tell you, dear friends, it's not the freedom you need to fight for. It's the faith that we need to fight for. It's the word of God. Men are butchering it. Men are banning it and they're burning it. They're doing everything that they can to it. And we need to stand. My old father, this is my father, used to say this to me many, many times. He said, son, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
And I often used to think about that. I says, why does he always say that? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Men and women all across Ulster, the Bible belt of the world. The foundations have been destroyed. And it's time that we began to defend the word of God. It's time that we squared our shoulders and we fought for this old book. Are you going to fight? I'll tell you, you'll only fight for this book if you're in the book. You'll only fight for this old book if you love it. And if you spend time in it every day, you'll only fight and defend it if you love it with all of your heart. To stand and earnestly contend for the faith. But not only do they attack the word of God quickly, they attack the Son of God. You cast your eye again to verse 4. It says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard them on the radio. You've heard them on Nolan. You've seen them on the television. These men that not only attack the word, but they attack my blessed Lord. They attack him. You know, they tried to kill him whenever he was only a child. Remember Herod sent out a decree to kill all the children. They were after him even as a little child. Whenever he started his public ministry, they tried to stone him. Whenever he was on the cross, my, it was there. They attacked him time and time again. And our brother Bertie, the other Sunday morning around the table, said these words. He says, even whenever they were dead, they couldn't leave him alone. It was then that the soldier came with a spear and thrust it into his side. And they not only attacked him in his ministry, and not only attacked him on the cross, I want to tell you, dear men and women, across Ulster, they're attacking him even while he's on the very throne. This is the one that died for me. This is the one that died and shed his blood to save me from a lost eternity. This is the blessed Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer, my friend. I tell you, whenever, whenever Netflix brings out a video depicting my blessed Lord as a transgender, I think it's time you ought to fight. I wonder how many of you believers support Netflix. I wonder how, much, how many of you are subscribers. Funding the very men that blaspheme my Lord. Mocking the very one that died for me. Belittling the Savior. The Son of God, I tell you, dear men and women, again, stop fighting for your freedom and start fighting for the faith. Get into the battle. I tell you, they've no right to belittle my Savior. They've no right to belittle the one that went down into the depths where there was no standing. They've no right to blaspheme my blessed Lord. And Jude, he said, it's time that you earnestly contend for the faith. I heard a man on the radio the other day. And he said that the Lord Jesus was a, an illegitimate child. Did you ever hear the like of it? He said that his father was an old German soldier that was in the Roman army. I tell you dear men and women. It's time that we began to defend the word of God. There was men in this province 20-30 years ago. Knew how to defend the word. Knew how to stand for the faith. And I want to blow the trumpet this morning. It's time that every one of us got into the battle and woke up. But they not only attack the word of God and they attack the son of God. They attack the people of God. 
I want you to come with me to Acts chapter 20. Keep your finger there and turn to Acts chapter 20. And cast your eye down to verse 29 of Acts chapter 20. Just take your time and find the place with plenty of time. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29, the apostle Paul said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. They not only attack the word of God, they not only attack the Son of God, I want to tell you that they will attack the people of God. That word there is the word, they're ferocious wolves. The Lord said that they're ravening wolves. They've come to destroy the flock. And I want to tell you, dear men and women, the role of an elder, the role of an overseer, the role of a shepherd is to defend the flock and defend it we will. He said they're going to come in grievous wolves, not sparing the flock. They're ungodly men. And they're in. Do you want to tell me where they are? I'll tell you where they are. They're in the Methodist. They're in the Presbyterian. They're in the Church of Ireland. Oh, you said to me, Stephen, you're going to get into trouble. I might get into trouble. But I want to tell you, dear men and women, if you're in churches where men dilute the word, if you're in a church where they butcher the word, if you're in a church where they belittle my Savior, if you're in a church where they make fun of the doctrines of redemption and atonement, there's one word from God to your soul this morning. Come ye out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. Do you hear Jude blowing the trumpet? God's speaking to your heart now. He's blowing the trumpet. They're ungodly men. They're not only ungodly men, cast your eye to verse 8. They're unclean men. It says in verse 8 that they're filthy dreamers, defiling the flesh. Verse 18 it says they're ungodly lusts. Verse 19 it says they're sensual. Jude here even identifies him in verse 7 with Sodom. And I know in these other evangelical, these denominations, there's good men. I know there is. But I want to tell you there's men that have crept in unaware. And they're unclean. I read a statistic the other day. In the evangelical church in Britain, that 70% of believing men are hooked on pornography. Now just get your eye off these ungodly men for a moment. I want you men to get your eyes on yourself just for a moment. I wonder, are you hooked on pornography? I wonder, whenever the wife goes to bed, do you fiddle about it stuff? They're unclean. Unclean. Jude's blowing the trumpet. They're not only ungodly and they're not only unclean. The most sad thing is this, they're unnoticed. It says here that they've crept in unawares. That word is to creep in under stealth. Under radar. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24, the Lord says that they'll deceive the very elect. And I tell you, dear men and women, up and down our land, scores of scores of believers are being deceived. Being deceived by men in pulpits. Being deceived with men with gowns and robes and collars. And if there's one thing that we ought to pray for in these days is, Lord, give us discernment to know 
Give me discernment, Lord. Lord, I want to identify these vipers. I want to identify these sheep, these wolves and sheep's clothing. I want to be a man that can discern when somebody twists the word. I want to have a discerning spirit to know someone who's an enemy of the cross. I want to tell you, dear friends, you'll only get discernment if you're in the word. And it says here that they've crept in unawares. They've crept in. They've slipped in under stealth. And all across our province this morning, the evangelical fundamental church has been crippled. We've forgot to fight. We've forgot to stand. But there's coming a day, and it'll not be too far away, when the book that you have in your hand this morning may be banned in this very country. There's coming a day like North Korea. In January of this year, 3,500 Nigerian believers were killed because they had this book. 3,500. And I tell you, dear friends, in Ulster, the Bible Belt of the world, there's coming a day when this blessed book will be banned and you and I need to be men and women that will know it. You need to get away from your daily reading. You need to get away from your little word for the day and you need to get down into this book and feed your soul. Begin to stand. Whenever you're in a shop or a chip shop and somebody takes your Savior's name in vain, you need to square your shoulders and you need to tell them, don't take the name of my Lord in vain. This is a fight. You say to me, Stephen, no, this is desperate stuff. Well, I want to tell you, dear friends, this was the half-brother of the Lord that said this. He says it's time to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, not only is there the servant here, and not only is there the saints here, and not only is there the summons, I want to close by talking to you about the solution. What's the solution? How do we deal with these men? How do we deal with this heresy that has crept in? Do we get posters and banners and protest in the street? Do we get involved in a physical fight? Do we burn them out? Not at all. If you cast your eye to verse 20 as we close, Jude gives the people of God the solution to the situation. And dear men and women in Ulster this morning, this is the same solution. This is the answer to the day in which we live. This is where we'll get the victory. This is where we'll get the power. This is where we'll get the blessing. Verse 20 it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. He says if you want to get into this fight, and if you want to be soldiers, you'll need to be in the word. You'll need to know the word. You'll need to study the book. And I want to challenge every father in this house this morning. I want to challenge you to start to study the word. Study it. Get a commentary. Get a concordance. Get an hour in the morning and say, Lord, I want to know this word. Instruct your family. Be a shepherd in the home. And Jude says, if you're going to survive in these last dark days of apostasy, you'll need to build yourself up. You'll need to be in the meat and in the milk. You'll need to have the sword of the Spirit. You'll need to have the hammer, the fire, to take on the enemy. Is that why there's so little of us contending today? We don't know the word. Is that why whenever there's somebody comes on the television and belittles my Lord, nobody... Nobody stands. There's a famine of the word. The old prophet could say that my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. He says, if you want to get into this fight, you'll need to be in the word. 
But not only to be in the word. He said in verse 20 again, But ye beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, listen to this, praying in the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you, dear men and women, all these strongholds, all these ungodly, unclean, unnoticed men, you know how we deal with them? Not with a banner. I'll tell you how you deal with them. You get down on your knees with the open book and you cry unto God. My, we were given the word the other night in the prayer meeting. It says in Daniel chapter 2, there's a God in heaven. I'm glad he's in heaven and I'm glad that he's on the throne and I believe with all my heart that he's going to move. But we need to be men and women that will fight. You know, every revival, every revival was met with an opposition to the truth. And whenever God brings a revival in Ireland, it's not if, but when, whenever he brings it, I want to tell you there's going to be men that will rise up to oppose it. And we need to be men that were sharp with the sword. We need to be men and women that can handle the word and not only know the word, but pray in the Holy Ghost. Now I'm finished. Do you know anything about praying in the Holy Ghost? Do you know anything about getting down on your knees and you don't have a prayer list and thank God for them? Do you know what it is to get down with no agenda even to prayer and say, Lord, you lead me to pray. I want to pray your desires. Lord, I want to pull down strongholds. I want to use the mighty weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I tell you, dear friends, when every, every one of us in this church begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, I want to tell you, the ungodly men, the unclean men, the unnoticed men, you know what they'll do? They'll run. To earnestly contend, to wrestle, to fight, to agonize, not for your freedom. Fight for the faith. Why would we not fight? Why would we not fight for the blessed one who died? You know, in 1875, there's a man in New York, just a stone's throw around the corner from where the Twin Towers were. He was a man in his 40s. Seen the deprivation in the city, seen the ungodliness. His name was Jeremiah Lamphere. Jeremiah Lamphere in 1918, in the 1870s, started a prayer meeting from 12 o'clock to 1. On the first day, there was nobody came. On the second day, there was five came. And over a few months' time, there was 10,000 men in New York City began to pray. And in three months, there was one million souls in America, one to the Lord. You know why? They were con- earnestly contending for the faith. Do you think he could do the same in Ireland? I'll tell you, yeah. I believe he will. But only if we begin to earnestly contend, fight. It's not enough just to be sanctified. It's not enough just to be preserved. It's not enough just to be called. We need to get into the battle. Whenever Napoleon, and with this I close, in one of the great battles that Napoleon had, and he won a mighty victory, he got a coin, a gold coin that was minted with just the words, I was there. And he got his generals to distribute to them to all the men that fought in that famous battle. I was there. You know, dear men and women, whenever we get up to glory, whenever we see him, the one who loves us, the one who died for us, you know why I want to be able to say, Lord, I was there. I was in the fight. I was in the battle. Will you not come to the prayer meeting tomorrow night? Will you not get in on Wednesday night? Will you not get in on Friday night and cry earnestly contend for the faith?
Know that the Lord will come in mighty blessing.